How are we doing in Genesis, guys? We still, if, if, if you're here today, we're, we're doing a Bible study, working our way through Genesis. If you're here and I don't know you, it's fantastic, man. There's so many new people coming. It's, it's fun to get to know you, so I hope I meet you. Um, but we're working our way through Genesis, and my hope is that, um, that you guys are struggling with the story, uh, that you're being encouraged by the story. Uh, maybe that you're asking some, some questions or whatever, but my hope is that you're seeing some themes, and there's some themes that are playing out in this first part of Genesis. Uh, one of the themes that we see is uh, a good God who creates a good world. And over and over we see this in Genesis 1, God creates something, and then he says, what I created was good. And at the very end of the creation story, he says, he looks at everything and created and says it was very good. Like, God, there is a theme in the first part of the Bible, and it is all good, right? Hakuna Matata, that's Greek for all good. I'm a seminarian, trust me, that's Greek. Hakuna Matata. And so that, that's, that's basically the theme of the first part. And we see that, and you get to work through it, and God creates this environment, uh, this environment where, where people can flourish, and, and there's everything in the world we want, and then God places into this environment humanity, man and woman, Adam and Eve, life and humanity, and he breathes his breath into them because they are in his image, and they will rule in his image, and they will bring life, and they will create, and they will do what God has been doing. And so it's a beautiful story. Because a good God has created a good world, and it's all good. It's hakuna matata for about the first two pages. And then it kind of falls apart. Because into this hakuna matata world, God gives people free will. And so he says, he, it's so, he's like, you can have anything you want, man, anything. There's a bazillion trees. Just don't elevate your knowledge of right and wrong over my knowledge of right and wrong. And guess what we immediately do? Yeah, I think I'm going to ride this one on my own, God. <laughs> Immediately, we elevate our knowledge of right and wrong over his knowledge of right and wrong. And so we see results from that. And this is something that Clarissa taught me when little kids. It's called natural consequences, right? There's natural consequences of our choice. And the natural consequences of our choice are distance from God. There, there's chaos and there's all these bad things. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 3, 24, there is a beautiful description of what happens when we choose, choose our way over God's way. It says, after he, this is talking about God, drove the man out, man and woman, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, that is a beautiful statement. And what it is saying is, when we chose our way over God's way, we were cut off from the life God wanted us to have. That, that's what that's saying in a beautiful way, that we are now separated. And, and so as a result of that, the theme changes. As you're reading Genesis, the theme is all good, and now the theme is not so good. The theme becomes broken. And so here, here's sort of where I want to go today as we see this changing theme. There is a question <clears throat> that I believe many of us have probably asked at some point of God, or maybe someone who doesn't believe what you believe, ask this, or maybe you're going through a difficult time and you're asking this question, but the question is this. Why do, the question is this, if God is good, why do bad things happen? Have you ever heard that question? It's a fair, I mean, at some point you've probably been in a situation or seen something where you looked at the world and you're like, man, if God is good, how's this? And people who don't believe what we believe or they don't believe in God, or, or maybe you're here today and you don't believe in God and you're just, someone made you come here and you're like, man, I don't get it. Why, if God is so good, why X, Y, and Z, and blah, blah, blah. And that, that, that's a question. And that is a question we often hear. But as we're going through the, this Genesis story today, I want us to begin to think of a new question. 
The, the old question is, why do bad things happen if God is good? I think our question should be, why does a good God allow any goodness in this bad world? It's a different question. The question isn't, why do bad things happen to good people? The question is, why do bad people get to experience any good? And, and I know that sounds heavy, but let's just hang on to that for a minute and work through Genesis and see if maybe asking a new question allows us to end up in a new destination. And so Chris did a great job last week. Give it up for my friend Chris. Yeah, amazing. Um, Y'all know what's good about Chris too is what you see up here is who he is. Like he is a genuine good human being. If you don't know him, you're missing out. So, um, so Chris got us sort of to the fall and, and as we're leaving the garden, let's just sort of walk through this. This is, I'm reading the story. And so Adam and Eve sin. They choose their way over God's way. They leave the garden, they're cast out of the garden, and they have two, two kids, right? What are their kids' names? Cain and Abel, okay. And they, they get along just peachy, right? For what, what, has, what happens between Cain and Abel? Cain kills Abel. Okay, so there's four people in the world. There's Adam and Eve and there's Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. He's just eradicated 25% of the world's population. Like, I watched End Games again. Only Thanos has killed more people in a shorter amount of time, right? 25% of the world's population just got wiped out. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm following this. And, and, but then it says, then Cain leaves, and he goes, and he goes to his wife. Where'd she come from? Like, as I'm reading this story, I'm like, hold, hold the phone now. Like, you said two people, and two people, and now his wife. And so I'm just kind of confused about this. And if you're like me, you're probably asking some questions right now about where exactly did she come from when 25% of the Earth's population was just wiped out over here. And, and here's, so here's what we do when we get to stuff like this. We either, number one, say, you know what, I don't believe any of this. This is, this is poppycock. This is nonsense. We probably don't say poppycock very often. <laughs> anymore. That's a word, I think. That's a real word. But like, we don't say that, but we say, I'm not going to, or we do something else. And this is what, this is what most uh, Christians do. We begin to make up a story that validates what the Bible has said. And so someone will come to you and say, I don't get that. You know, where did she come from? And what we will do is create a world that doesn't exist in the text. Well, you see what happened was God, I, well, who, where did you get that? So we create answers to defend our God as if our God needs our defending. We just create this story, and people are like, I don't believe that story. And so instead of not believing it, or instead of creating a story, why don't we just for a moment hear what the author wants us to hear? I don't believe this is really a story of one-fourth of the world's population being eradicated. But I think the author is speaking. And so let's listen to what the author wants us to hear on their terms, not on our terms. And what's it saying? Division is now happening. A brother just killed a brother. Like, and just a, just a little while ago, everything was good, and then we sinned, and now we've got this world where brother is killing brother, and then we go into the, like this, this lineage. In chapter 5, we have a lineage, and it is long, and it's person after person. If you hadn't read it, go read it. And it's like, Jimmy John lived a thousand years, and, and um, I don't know, Rallies lived eight, and now I'm just naming restaurants because I'm hungry. <laughs> Billy Bob lived 600 years, and we see this lineage. But at the, each of, at the end of each one of those things, it says three words. Anyone knows what three words are? And he died. The theme in chapter one was life. 
Now I'm reading a lineage where people die. That's what the author, and so we can argue and well, we'll a thousand years, who cares? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, and he died. Where there once was life, there is now, we are cut off from the tree of life. And what we now experience is a broken, fallen world where bad things happen and people die. And that's what the author wants us to hear. And then in Genesis 4, this is my new favorite Bible character ever, okay? Because this is how bad it has gotten by Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 23. And I'm going to read this. Um, yeah, just, you'll find out. All right. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. First off, people are already speaking in third person. Like that's how far the world has fallen. Only the rock is supposed to speak in third person. And now Lamech is doing it, right? <laughs> wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Y'all hear this? Okay, do y'all remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What they felt, it was an emotion. Does anyone remember what the emotion was? Lamech is killing people. And what's he feel? Pride. What do you think the author's trying to tell us here? That this is how far humanity has fallen. Where now sin tastes good. And again, what do we want to do? Where'd Lamech come from? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because the truth is, there's a little Lamech inside of all of us. Because for all of us, we get to a point in life where sin tastes good. Where we do wrong when we know we're doing wrong, and we actually savor it. And maybe there was a point in your life when you actually bragged about the wrong you were doing. That's Lamech. And what the author is trying to show is, this is what happens when you are cut off from the tree of life. This is how far humanity has fallen. This is the pain. This is the suffering. This is the chaos. This is the disorder. Lamech is bragging about killing God's creation. Lamech is bragging. He's, he's getting his identity not from the creator, but he's getting his identity in destroying creation. That is where humanity has now come. And so with that being the background, let's stop chasing T-Rex for a second and find ourselves in this story now. And with that understanding that this is how far the world has fallen, that this is how much pain, this is what the author wants you to know, it is broken bad. Now we're introduced to a story in chapter 6 with the flood. And, and if it's your first time to hear the story of the flood, fantastic. If you've heard it before, maybe today we hear it with new ears. And so Genesis 6, 6, and it says this, and this is all super simple stuff. There will be no questions at all. <laughs> When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God thought the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, and their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. And when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Everyone with me so far? Pretty clear? Okay, a lot going on there. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race, the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. 
There's a lot in there, okay? And we've got some talk about uh, Nephilim, which a lot of people think were giants, and we have some angels and all this. And, and there's a lot of people, and maybe even someone in the room today, who thinks they understand every single thing that's going on in this paragraph. Uh, and if that's you, then to God be the glory, because I don't. There's a lot going on in this, guys. And so again, what am I looking for? Am I trying to figure out every single nuance of this paragraph and explain it? No, because I don't think that matters. I think what matters here is that we see creation is falling. Creation is rebelling against God. Humans are falling. Angels are falling. I mean, it, it is chaos. It is disorder. Again, this is spelling out for us how bad it is. It's so bad that God regrets it. God regrets it. And I don't think that means that God made a mistake. And I don't think that means that God is changing his mind. Has someone ever done something you knew they would do and it still broke your heart? That's what God is experiencing. God is experiencing pain. And this is life apart from God. Fallen angels and fallen creation and everything is broken. And God gave us everything good. And he said, just, just choose me. And God said, like, right now what I'm trying to do is, and when I read, read this this week, I want to read this from God's point of view. Because too often I read the Bible, whereas it's about me. And like, I'm the center of the Bible. And maybe you too. So, so just read this story from God's point of view. You gave the world everything. You gave the world goodness, peace, and joy, and love. You said, I will give you me. And the world turned and said, I don't want you. I want something else. And the words that come to mind when I read this is the entire creation gave our God the finger. And is that offensive language? Good, then be offended because our God was offended. His holiness is offended. His righteousness is offended. His love is of his peace. Everything in our God is offended and we should see that. Imagine this from God's point of view. Everything has turned its back on God. And when you read that and you begin to think, all right, you're God, it changes the way you look at this changes the way you approach this next part of the story. In verse 6, 5, and it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And every inclination of thoughts of humans were evil. And he regretted it. And his heart was troubled. So the Lord said, I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And within the animals and the birds and creation, everything that moves along the ground, for I regret having made it. And if you're watching a movie of this and God is the central character and everything is turning its back on God and everything is rebelling against him, it's, part of us should be like, wipe them out, God. Y'all ever seen that movie Taken? Didn't you want that dude to kill everybody? Yeah, it's okay. We're all honest here. And part of me is waiting for God to call earth and be like, hello earth, this is God. I have a very specific set of skills that I've developed over a very long period of time. Skills that make a God like me a nightmare for people like you. Like, I'm, I'm waiting for God to say that, right? Because I want God to wipe the earth clean. Because it's what the earth deserves. It's what creation deserves. It's what humanity. Like, you're like, God, take out your wrath on them. They've all rebelled against you. And that story's just playing out over and over and over. God gives everything. And we flippantly turn our back and spit in the face of the creator. That's the story. People say, well, how can you love a God that caused all those bad things to happen? And what we should say is, I love a God that allows good things to happen. Because listen to what happens next. 
6, 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and walked faithfully with God. God is wiping out all of humanity because all of creation has insulted him. But God rescues a remnant so that his will will come to pass through humanity. He could have wiped... Guys, Noah is not a perfect person. Noah is not a... Matter of fact, at the end of the Noah story, if you read it, he ends up naked and ashamed. Does that ring a bell with anybody? No, don't be like, yeah, it was me last night. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't need to know your business right now. Okay? And there's a time and a place, and this ain't either one. But like, I'm talking about like in the Bible. Does that ring a bell with any other Bible characters? Who else ended up naked and ashamed? Just a chapter or two earlier. Adam. And now Noah is naked and ashamed because he ends up all this crap. And so God, isn't, God doesn't restore and save Noah because Noah is good. God saves Noah because God is good. Because God is good, he allows there to be goodness in the world, even though the world does not deserve the goodness of God. And that's the story of the flood. That's the story that God maintains to say, and if, if we can't see our lives played out in some sort of little picture of this, that God gave me good, I chose evil. There were even days when I liked it. Then I came back to God, and God poured out goodness on me that I did not deserve. People say, you believe the story of the flood is real? I don't know. Sounds a lot like my story, and I believe my story is real. Because that's my story. And it's your story. We, we create these painful situations. And listen, I'm not saying all the pain in your life was caused by you. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe all the pain in your life was caused by sin. Some of it was caused by us. Like, for instance, I lost my leg when I was seven. That wasn't my fault. Wasn't God's fault either. It was the fault of a broken world. Our oceans are polluted. That's not God's fault. It's not the ocean's fault. But even in the midst of a polluted ocean, the ocean still gives us beauty. Even in the midst of, of a broken ocean, the ocean still yields for us this moment where we stand in front of it and we realize how great our God is. The sky is polluted, but stars still shine. This is the most amazing thing about our God. In the midst of everything we have broken, God still showers his goodness on us. Look, Matthew sums this up so well. In Matthew 5, 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Isn't that gorgeous? The good in your life is not a result of your goodness. It's a result of his goodness. We live in a world where we have caused great pain, where great pain has happened. Again, some of you, your pain is your fault. Not a lot of my pain is my fault. A lot of things just happen because the world is broken. But even in the midst of this brokenness, our God is still good. And so the question must become not, God, why did this bad thing happen? Listen, guys, there are two things that will happen in life, life and death, and only one of those do we actually deserve. So the question is not, why do bad things happen? The question becomes, God, why did you allow this goodness to happen? In this room, I see so much goodness. In this world, I see so much goodness. I see sunrises and sunsets. Children laugh. I get to spend time with people I love, smiles and hugs and all the amazing things we get to experience in every single ounce of good in your life is a free gift from the Father based not on your goodness, 
but on his. And so do bad things happen? Yeah, the world is broken. But even in a broken world, our God showers goodness. And for that, we should be thankful. When you ask a different question, you arrive in a different location. And so when people ask you, is the story of the art true? You can uh, pull out your, your history book and you can try to wow them with your knowledge of where Lamech and, and Cain's wife came from. You're free to take that route. Or you can say, you know, the story of the ark, it's my story. And guess what? It's probably your story. So is it true? It's true for me. Humanity did not get what they deserved. Neither did I. And God is good.